Welcome to the Life Adventure Podcast, where we explore everything related to making digital transformations. As a full-service development firm, we bring over a decade of experience in taking businesses from concept to product for whatever their software needs. Subscribe to hear more talks and tips on how to transform your business today. Hello and welcome to the Life of Venturet Podcast. This is your host, uh, co-host, Alex Mershak. I'm here with uh, Daniel Herzog. Dan, uh, we've got a really special guest here today. We've got Ken Durkin from Michigan Virtual. You want to tell the audience a little bit about who we're going to be talking to? Sure, Alex. Thank you. So, yes, today we have Ken Durkin. Ken is the executive director of the Learning and Research Institute at Michigan Virtual, which is headquartered here in the East Lansing area. Uh, Ken has been in the business of online education for about 20 years now, in the last six with Michigan Virtual. Uh, Ken was in online education before online education was cool. And uh, he has been watching the evolvement of this industry. Uh, He's a MSU grad. And Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about Michigan Virtual and what your goals are with your organization? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Alex, for inviting me onto the show. Uh, The mission of Michigan Virtual is really around helping every person reach their full potential through digital learning. And that's what we've been doing for the last 20 years as an organization. We're a private nonprofit uh, company, and we started out in workforce development back in 1998 and then pivoted to K-12 online space around 2000, 2001, and have been going in that direction ever since. And probably about 2004, 2005, realizing that teachers are never going to be able to adopt and use practices around online and blended learning if we didn't help provide professional development. So for the last 15 years, we've also been providing uh, professional development off- options for educators uh, across the state focused on online and blended learning. And a lot of people wonder, like, what does online education look like? And it, in our situation as the state virtual school, uh, we really focus on supplemental course courses for students who uh, need flexibility in their schedule or for instance we have a lot of uh, uh, sports um, you know uh, uh, sports students who uh, I think this this morning we're talking about one of the junior golf champions in the U.S. top 10 uh, amateur golfer um, need takes courses with us because they need flexibility in their schedule to go practice and, and compete uh, and that's really how online kind of got a toehold. Um, but as you can, as you can see recently, uh, thanks to the pandemic and COVID-19, uh, the discussion for online has ramped up quite significantly. Uh, our work at Michigan Virtual is very much focused on like district-friendly models. So how do we let put districts in the driver's seat and help them develop the capacity to offer online options to students in Michigan uh, in a way that... Um, you know, if, if people think about cyber charters, which are schools onto themselves, and, you know, when a student goes to a cyber charter, they are enrolling in that school like you would enroll in your, your district of residence school. We actually work with the district, and the district makes the choice and enroll students in, in our programs um, at their own volition. So we're, we're not actually taking students out of districts. We're providing capacity for districts to expand the options that they have available. And often that looks like um, districts who 
don't have enough student enrollment who are interested in Japanese to stand up a Japanese course and, and you know hire a Japanese teacher. We have a lot of foreign language courses. We have a lot of advanced placement. If you look across the state, advanced placement is a is a key priority um, for a lot of high schools, but they don't have the capacity to provide a really robust advanced placement set of courses. So we do a lot of, of business um, in terms of providing those advanced placement courses for the one or two kids that may be in a rural school district who want to be involved in advanced placement. So those are the types of things that we've focused on. Uh, about three or four years ago, we got more into helping districts really devise their own online programs instead of just using us as, I won't, won't say it as a crutch, but at least using us as a provider. We really wanted to figure out how to help them uh, onboard their own capacity, use their own teachers, and really migrate to online learning to as, as a core principle of what they're doing. So we stood up a, a, a program called the Collaboratives, and these collaboratives are where we go out and we'll train a district and their teachers on how to provide an online course. And we can we provide them our infrastructure as if um, as if it's their own. So they don't have all the, the problems with scaling their own LMS or developing their own courses. They get to use our our content, our systems. We just train their teachers like we would train our highly qualified Michigan certified teachers who teach our own classes um, to do that work. And and that has been almost, um, you know, very future focused because there's not a lot of districts or other groups that are willing to bite that off in regular times. Uh, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit this spring and we really have started um, working with a lot of districts around how to do that because even if a district is going back face to face, there will still be, and in some cases, 30% of their student population that will not come back face to face. And the only place they could turn would be going to a cyber charter. So districts are really trying to figure out how to create those online experiences for students who are reluctant to return face to face to school. Uh, and we also developed a version of the collaboratives that we call Whole School, which is to provide core online instructional content. Uh, very much like the collaboratives with the uh, instructor being the, the teacher who's in in the district and we train them uh, but we provide a lot of our content and then they can host it in their own LMS and this gives them the opportunity to provide that core instructional capacity across their entire uh, secondary uh, student level so 912 uh, and, and that allows them to, to have a continuity of learning so say they come back to uh, school face-to-face -face, like some districts have done in Michigan and then uh, there's an outbreak and they, everybody has to go remote. Well, in normal face-to-face -face instruction, there wouldn't be a rich set of core content for those students to connect with and continue to learn online and it would be put on the shoulders of the teachers to do that. We're providing them the ability to do that through our content uh, and, and our expertise. Um, and, it, and it's already helped out. There are a couple of districts that work with us that, you know, they opened up the first two weeks of school and then have already closed due to outbreaks. So mm -hmm. they have that learning continuity content provided by us. Yeah. I mean, we could see education evolving in the delivery model, offering the online suite. And certainly the pandemic has accelerated that. Um, as you see that industry evolving, what, what kind of hurdles or how has the transition been for more of the traditional school to go to an online platform, whether it's a hybrid or, or full online? Uh, it's been painful. 
I think for a lot of schools, right? The infrastructure for the last more than, you know, 150 years really has looked the same uh, in terms of how education is traditionally delivered. And there's the, been the finer points have been debated, but the core concept of what education is has stayed the same. And I, I was reading the, the um, Morris biography of, of Thomas Edison, and when he invented the uh, movie projector, he was so excited. He took it to the school boards throughout New York and said, hey, check this out. This is going to revolutionize education. And all the school boards said, get out of here. You're never going to mess with our traditional way of delivering instruction. Right. And that was that was uh, 78 years ago or something like 103 years ago. I forget what it was. But yeah, it's just it shows that how um, non-elastic really education is in a lot of ways and so online's uh, been slow to gain a foothold and i think if we if we had done what certain people had said back i i watched a researcher from the state schools and academies trust in england speak in 2005 in michigan and he said the best way to uh to reform education is just to tear the buildings down because what's built out of that will look completely different than what it looks like right now. And I feel COVID has really given us that kind of um, moment where a highly leveraged ecosystem like schools, which has been a great thing in the past, being able to deal with massive disruption on national scale with um, you know, you think about the Twin Towers falling and in 9-11. School was in session the next day, right? They're, right. they're set to be incredibly robust and, 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 and withstand a lot of pressure and be able to still serve the students uh, through great crisis. Uh, COVID-19 really just knocked everybody off their feet. Nobody was prepared for it, and, and it was a real scramble in spring to get moving forward um, and, and figure out how to, to support students in a way that, you know, is, is really out of the realm of expertise of a lot of teachers. Um, they haven't had the training, and they haven't had the exposure, and they really need um, that level of support to, to make it a success. Right. No, I understand. It's, uh, like you say, we were thrust into this kind of environment um, within a matter of weeks. Well, the schools were shut down back in March. Mm -hmm. We went through a couple of weeks, like not knowing what to do. And all of a sudden the schools realized that they had to do something to keep these kids occupied. And I think that we all understand that there's some, some advantages to online education as far as access and but there's also some disadvantages to online education with some of these younger children. Um, what, have we, what have you heard from the, the schools in that capacity? Yeah, and, and to be clear, Michigan Virtual works at the secondary level. So okay. uh, grade six to grade 12. Um, but we do work with a lot of people around trying to help them think about blending curriculum in a K-5. And when I mean blending, it's using educational technology tools to help, you know, supplement or, or, or create opportunities in, in those grades. Um, yeah, what we have for the last five, six years, maybe even longer, Michigan Virtual has realized that like building relationships is the key to any successful education experience. And so we've put a lot of stake and effort into trying to help teachers understand how to build relationships and even an online setting. Right. And what that looks like and, and what the what are the processes and mechanisms to be able to to continue to establish those relationships. It was super helpful that school 
went remote uh, and transitioned to emergency remote learning in March because those kids had been with teachers for months, right? right. So if you look at elementary, they'd been with those teachers for, for six months. Uh, and a lot of the teachers that we've talked to since March have said, oh, man, and so appreciated the fact that I already had those relationships with those students because we couldn't have done it. And they were very uh, anxious about what it looked like this fall if they were to go back remote um, and how they're going to develop those relationships. But the teachers are showing up, the kids are showing up, everybody's trying, and I, I see the silver lining in that. Even if it hasn't gone off to a great start for a lot of people, um, it's still every, parents and students and teachers and administrators are showing up every day and they're trying to make it work. And I, I see a glimmer of hope that the, the residue, even if we snap back to a more traditional model after this, there'll be a residue of the possibility of what could be uh, still that resonates with a lot of people in the situation we're currently in. Right, right. You would mentioned a couple of times previously uh, an acronym LMS, uh, Learning yes. Management System. Um, schools, uh, how, how do schools decide on, on which system to use? What is best for them? Or can you maybe explain the different systems that are available? Yeah. And if I use too many acronyms, please stop me. <laughs> we're acronym heavy in education. If we don't have an, it's like the military. If you don't have an acronym for it, it probably doesn't exist. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, an LMS is a learning management system, and what the learning management system does is allow you to load resources and tools that will help facilitate the learning in a, like an online space. Now, it's common in higher education to have learning management systems that supplement the core face-to-face -face instruction happening across campus. 40% of all courses that are taught in higher ed are taught in some sort of online capacity. So it's not new. Um, what it what's happened is it's not been used very uh, thoroughly at the at the k twelve level because uh, one of the things that's and i this is my own personal perspective it's easier to wing it when you're face to face than it is when you have to wing it through a technology <laughs> so when you're when you're thinking about having to load all the homework assignments into an lms and having students be able to get in there and get connected to it and be able to do it. And where do they go to ask questions? Where do they go to get support? All that has to be pre-thought out before that lesson is taught. Um, and if you're in a classroom as a teacher and something's going wrong with a lesson, you can quickly pivot. But if you know you don't have anything to pivot to in the LMS, you're you're done, right? That right. you kind of stalled learning out. So it's a little more complicated, and and I think. Um, that's one of the kind of barriers to entry with it. The learning management systems, they've been around for decades and there are very sophisticated ones and then there are ones that aren't very, you know, aren't sophisticated. Um, if you look at the top ones, there's Canvas and uh, Desire to Learn's Brightspace and Blackboard. Um, a lot of people hear about Moodle because there's a free version of it, uh, an open source version. And so those really just manage that kid's learning experience um, in, in an asynchronous way. Uh, so a lot of us are familiar with going and answering questions. Read, read this paper and then go respond in the discussion board and have a conversation with your peers uh, in, in the discussion board or, or take this quiz online or take this assessment or turn in work. And I think a lot of the times we look at it as um, kind of a, a core component but people aren't leveraging it as well as they could 
and just watching my fifth grader work on uh, Google Classroom, which is very popular in Michigan because we're very much a Google state from an education standpoint. Sure. Most, uh, most everybody's using Google for at Google Apps for Education, and Google Classroom is part of that, so a lot of districts have chosen to use that as an LMS. It's, it's a decent experience for students and teachers. It doesn't have a lot of the really high-end LMS functionality that you would come to expect in terms of managing entire schools of learning that's happening across multiple grades and how do you make it you know replicable and efficient and a lot of stuff that the the big enterprise LMSs really do well. Um, but yeah, you you see you see kids working in an LMS that down to second, first kindergarten, right? That people right. would assume would have never been successful. But the, the way that teachers are redesigning learning and, and creating assignments that leverage the LMS, leverage more like project-based learning uh, uh, opportunities, you really do get to see that that type of educational technology integration can happen at those lower grades. Um, but once again, focus on relationships, right? The LMS only does so much. It's really about how do you motivate and engage students. And the LMS is a component of that. How you design your curriculum and content is a component of that. Uh, and then how, how you are as a teacher and how you connect with your students is a component. Right. Of that. Well, and I think you bring up a very good point too is the, the uh, secondary education system has been thrust into this situation it's never going to be a perfect science. It's never going to be a perfect run the, f the first time. Um, there's always going to be growing pains and, you know, we got to get everyone on board and this is the, the, the cards were dealt and now we just have to play them the best we can. Right. Yeah. And, and, to the point of selecting an LMS, right? A lot of districts, there's some magical thinking happening over over summer. Like hopefully we'll all just go back to school and it'll be normal. <laughs> yeah. And all the infrastructure and the billions and billions of dollars of 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 of, of textbooks and you know, environments that we built in science labs and all that will be pertinent again. And it wasn't for a lot of districts. Um, so they were scrambling to set up an LMS and understand what online might look like for this fall. Uh, and it really is, you want it to be intentional choice uh, and, 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 and kind of a dedicated focus on what you want to achieve with your students when you're trying to figure out what LMS is is going to work for you, uh, but we saw a lot of a lot of districts trying to figure that out on their own. And we have a learning continuity work group that Michigan Virtual has been a, a partner with um, that's been going since uh, late March, early April, and it's a lot of educators from around the state. And they actually put together a guide for selecting an LMS, and you can find it at keepmichiganlearning.org. Uh, and so. That learning continuity group tackled three kind of main areas. One was the LMS. One was professional development for online and blended learning. Uh, uh, now I'm going to blank on the third, which is unfortunate. But yeah, if you go to the website, they they did a lot of work in that space over the last uh, three months to really help schools out. You're listening to the Life Adventurate podcast. Adventurate, we specialize in producing smart applications using AI, machine learning, blockchain, and IoT. You can learn about all our services at Venturit.com. All right, back to the show. Besides online education for the secondary, um, online services are also used for other tools like micro-credentialing. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that service and how that's utilized with your company and, and online capabilities? Yeah, so we're... 
um, we really see a seed of something that we see as a sea change. That was an alliteration that was hard to say, but I liked it. A seed of a sea change. Um, we're moving into the micro credentialing space. We really started focusing not on student micro credentialing or badging, but educator micro credentialing. And right now you have educators, they have their, their certification and their certification is banded across the grade level or in a higher, you know, higher grades across subject areas. Uh, and, and the idea of how do they differentiate themselves in terms of their knowledge, skills, and aptitudes in a way that's visible that can earn them recognition for that? Well, badging, right? But you don't want to call it badging because we often refer to badging for students, right? You think of like the Boy Scout badges, sure. uh, Girl Scout badges. So we call it micro-credentialing. But really, it's the same thing. What's the visible recognition that you have some skill or trait that's, that, that puts you apart? Uh, helps your colleagues recognize your expertise, helps administrators and buildings understand who knows what and, and how to target areas that may be gaps. Um, and that's that's really where we've taken micro-credentialing as Michigan Virtual. And we work with a lot of leadership groups throughout Michigan. So the Michigan Elementary Middle School Principals Association, the Michigan uh, Association of School Administrators uh, to help uh, micro-credential courses for their, for their school leaders. So, for instance, if you're a superintendent, say you're a new superintendent and uh, every district is required to have a communications plan, right? Well, there's components of communication plans that are uh, legal, right? Like legal ramifications of your communications plan. You don't want to say something that will get you in hot water and what, when, when do you say it? How do you use social media? Um, adequately to, to communicate what you need to communicate and think of all these skills right now, right? That, that like superintendents are having to deal with around communication. Um, and what's crisis communication look like? So we built with the, the Michigan Association of School Administrators, uh, superintendent communications micro-credential. And they, the nice part about micro-credentials are that if you already have mastery of that content, you probably already have the evidence to show that mastery. And you can submit it and you can get the micro-credential for just having submitted your evidence of mastery. Now, if you don't have evidence of mastery, you could submit some evidence uh, that you put together and you'll get feedback from a peer that will say, here's the gaps. And you can work through those gaps uh, using different learning materials that are provided to you. And if you have no clue what you're doing, you can just go right at the learning materials and try to figure out the gaps, self-address the gaps yourself uh, to build your understanding and be able to submit those uh, to achieve a micro-credential. So not only is it a nice way to recognize uh, the, the skills, it's also a nice way to help uh, people make decisions about what learning is right for them and how to address the gaps that they need to develop. So it cuts down on the amount of time that you have to spend, and educators have a severe lack of time to do everything that they have to do. So especially district superintendents, they don't have time to sit through a four-hour class where the first hour is remediation and building blocks of another course that they took or didn't take. Uh, they really want to jump to the meat and potatoes and, and, and address just the areas that they need improvement in. Um, and so that's that's a differentiator from traditional PD where it can seem very redundant if you're sitting through a whole series of PD uh, that's seat time based and this is competency based and able to able to just kind of vault you to your next level of skill uh, as quickly and efficiently as possible. Right. And I'm thinking too that this could even 
parlay into the corporate world, right? A lot of industries, a lot of professions require continuing education. Um, you know, you have to stay uh, up to speed on new laws, new regulations that are in certain industries. And so this is something that companies could implement internally too, correct? Yeah, so um, certifications are very commonly used in industry, right? So in a teacher education, you get certified to teach at a certain grade level or a certain subject area at a certain grade level. Um, out, in, out in the industry, and we do work right now with Pinckney Cybersecurity Institute uh, to do uh, uh, Cisco certifications as part of an online program uh, between Michigan Virtual and Pinckney. And that those certifications are different, right? When you're talking about workforce development certifications, they're, they're a little more fine-grained and a little more uh, focused on areas, uh, specific areas. And so if you look at credentialing, it could be very similar. Um, Whitmer just announced uh, probably a month ago that nurses were going to go through uh, – culture competency training uh, statewide to better deepen their understanding of cultural competency. And it'd be very interesting to see, could you credential that, right? When somebody shows how their job embedded work is reflecting the best practice around understanding different cultures and, 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 and being able to interface with people in a very competent way, um, and you submit a video of you working with a patient or you know using specific types of language, to get that badged and then all the nurses who have that micro-credential have that as almost a certification on their resumes or on their, you know, or, or available to submit with job applications, you know, it gives them a leg up in terms of where they are in the workforce in a way that, that I think would be very beneficial. And what I'd really like to see and what I think is we're leaning towards as we move into the future of learning is that we'll have much more defined competencies and skills for students and we'll be able to align those to workforce needs. So if you think about a student who's taking uh, computer science in a high school, what types of badges or credentials or micro-credentials are they earning that align with Amazon and Microsoft and Google in terms of their hiring process for um, computer science majors, right, or computer programmers or whatever positions that they're hiring. And that gives students a very finite way to, like, look at pathways and guide their own learning and have voice and choice in that to, to move towards a desired result. Right. Well, that's a great segue. So, as you know, the online education is, is one of the biggest buzzwords going on right now. So with that being said, do you see a, a lot of new players coming into this industry now that they see that this is kind of the future of education, or at least it's going to have a much more relevant part of education going forward? And, and what other things do you see going on in the future with online education as far as improvements or advancements? Yeah, there's a lot of players right now in online education because there's 800 plus districts that are probably worried about it in some capacity. Uh, there's only about a third of them that were even thinking about it before spring of 2020. Um, there are some big names in online education who are national providers and they put a lot of work and effort into developing what they do. Um, just like Michigan Virtual has been working on it for 20 years. Um, but I think what we'll see 
is what was pigeonholed as the exception could possibly become more of the norm and that will require great changes in how we've thought about online education or provided support for online education because when it was uh, you know side thing and never part of like core instructional practice the types of supports that were needed or the types of products that were developed um, didn't target the kind of mainstream need. And so I think there will be a lot of organizations that either die because they just can't deal with that change and, and disappear, right? Not schools. I'm not talking about schools. I'm talking about the, the vendors that provide online learning options. Right. I want to make sure that's <laughs> that's clear. Um, but the idea of, of uh, these vendors, right? They can't pivot to, to be a mainstream because they've, they're keyed to, to be focused on things like credit recovery or, you know, like us, AP and, and world language. Now, already we've had to close enrollment for fall in the core instructional areas, something that we've never had to do in a 20-year history because there's so many people trying to seek out opportunities that that uh that we're not tooled to provide normally and we have we don't have the capacity we have to actually shut off enrollment uh to some of the courses because we can't source the teachers we need highly qualified certified michigan teachers to teach our courses um for those students to receive credit and we we can't source there's not enough teachers right so that i think that that'll be interesting to see how organizations adapt and evolve uh, to work with schools in a true partnership to to kind of embrace that new frontier that you're talking about because up to this point it just it was only happening in a in in the minority of of school districts and schools. Well, you know something I just kind of thought about is now with this advent of online education, it seems to me that maybe a year-round calendar might be more prevalent or utilized by students too. If they can take classes during the summer online mm. and, and accelerate, you know, the, their learning, you know, I think that that could be something that we could see going forward. Yeah, there's been programs in Michigan, Northville comes to mind, who've had really sound summer programs that give, gave opportunity to their students to, to, um, to do summer options. And, and schools traditionally don't financially support summer school work and so it was always on the parent to to provide the the funding to do that but they provided the infrastructure and support to do that uh, and i think you'll see a lot of schools do that post this year because we know that there was a loss of learning starting in march and, and and it'll probably continue as the complexities of what is trying to be done in a remote uh, uh fashion over the next you know three months to a year um we'll probably see that that idea of like a balanced calendar which is you know what's traditionally called having school go uh year round but have a different kind of cadence to it so six weeks on two weeks off um and with a with a month-long break but research has shown that that's effective in stopping the summer slide um now uh, we bring up a lot as an example uh in spring, uh, the number of days that kids were out of school was still less than Alpena had to call for snow days the year before. Really? So there's always a loss of instruction regardless of what the situation is. And 
uh, you'll see this in the legislation that's been put together in the in the House in the Senate around e-learning days, trying to address the fact that just because students aren't physically in school doesn't mean they have to stop learning. Right. And how do we change our policies, which are really the driving force of how we evaluate whether instruction is happening in the state of Michigan, because the policy is connected to the funding with the students. Um, trying to come up with a new model for, for assessing whether instruction is happening or not, and then how do we guarantee that that's happening in a robust and quality way um, is really where, where things will start to get interesting and probably we'll see more of the change in, in, in online education being adopted. Um, that's great. So you focus mostly on districts, but obviously with all of this um, coronavirus stuff happening, there's been an increased interest in uh, homeschooling. Are you guys catering uh, any of your, your products or programs to that demographic at all, trying to capture some of that? Well, we, we do, we will direct um, enroll students who may be in a homeschool situation. Uh, it's not really a core business of ours. It's kind of uh, the direct kind of consumer, if you want to put it in business parlance, is mm. not really our our, uh, our our forte. And we'd rather work with districts who are trying to support uh, homeschool components and, and, and have them deal with the complexities of that. There's, there's a lot yeah. of like policy issues around homeschooling that, you know, we as a vendor of online courses really don't, don't, understand fully or understand how to support uh, as well as as we as we we probably could but we've always taken like I said earlier that kind of district friendly model of let's work with the districts that's who we can help uh, really impact and scale online learning right um, and 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 that's that's been our focus area well well Ken we really appreciate your time today uh, it, it looks like you're in the right industry going forward for sure. Mm. Um, as we know, technology can sometimes uh, antiquate uh, older industries like retail shopping. You know, we, we've seen the fallout with some shopping malls and Amazon has certainly put a dent in that. But uh, I think online education is certainly going to be at the forefront going forward in technology and education. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting space to be in. Yeah, um, we we were joking about that in spring. That like, oh, finally, everybody realizes the importance. <laughs> yeah, validated, vindicated. Yeah, patience, Ken. Patience. Twenty twenty years. Uh, we're part of the Virtual Learning Leadership Alliance, which is the sixteen state virtual schools. And yeah, it's like, oh, finally, people have noticed. Um, but I, yeah, I think the idea of um, like I said, that residue that comes out of this, you'll see a lot of change on its heels and a lot of teachers who say, oh, that was much easier to put up my Google form to do a, a quiz or to track student interests than what I was doing in my traditional face-to-face -face class. And that kind of blended model of learning really growing in traction over the next, you know, five years uh, out of that. There is the possibility that things snap back, that there's such a um, kind of negative view of what's happening in terms of our emergency remote learning that people want to go more traditional on the pendulum swing as we get back into to kind of some sort of regularity about what learning looks like. But I hope not. I hope we see, I'm an optimist, and I think we'll see a lot of new ideas and new ways of 
of, of thinking about providing voice and choice to students and supporting their differentiated needs and personalizing education. Um, all those things will will bloom through the kind of rubble that is the current <laughs> online education models that are trying to be hastily implemented. Sure, sure. Well, once again, thank you for your time. Alex, did you have any things you want to follow up with or are we good? I, I mean, I think that was excellent. If you want to just uh, say maybe, uh, you know, point the direction to where people can get more information on Michigan Virtual and your products and services. Yeah, so uh, michiganvirtual.org is our website. There's a lot of information on there, everything from enrolling students to uh, our catalog of professional learning options. Uh, under under the masthead, there's a research menu that will take you to the Michigan Virtual Learning Research Institute, which is independent in some ways to Michigan Virtual as that we are doing research in a more kind of uh, – agnostic point of view. It's not just to support our courses, but it is really taking a snapshot look at all of online learning in the state of Michigan. And one of the things that uh, we produce every year is an online effectiveness report. So you working with the Department of Ed, uh, getting the data about online courses in Michigan over the last five years, tracking the success rates in them. Uh, and there's a lot of demographic data about who's taking online courses, what courses are they taking, how well are they succeeding in it. And, and Michigan, you know, uh, in the 2018-19 school year, right, be, right before this last school year, uh, was only uh, had a completion rate of 55% in online courses uh, with, with 500,000 enrollments. Um, and 100,000 students. And the Institute has really taken a hard look at how do we help improve that? How do we get that from 55% to 60%? What are the what are the levers that we have that we can pull to help move things forward? Now, that's been completely disrupted, right, <laughs> in the last year. Uh, but I think a lot of the research around how do we help improve the state of online education in Michigan has, is, has paid off in the free resources that we produce and are helping students right now across Michigan as well as teachers and administrators make decisions of what online learning looks like. And one last plug because we just debuted this this morning. Um, we added a share to Google Classroom button uh, on our learning continuity resources. So we have 70 plus courses uh, that we provided the lecture content for free to any educator and you just go and you sign up for free on the website and then you have access to the content of those 70 courses and they're highly engaging built by our instructional designers who who are highly trained and and and, and most of them have master's degrees in instructional design um, you can just go in and pick a lesson and hit the share to Google Classroom button and it, and it imports it right into your Google Classroom. So you don't even have to think about copying, pasting links or any of that work. And I think with 75% of the districts using Google Classroom as their main way to deliver uh, content right now to, to their students, that'll be a big plus for educators in Michigan. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds great. Well, once again, thanks for your time, Ken. And uh, we'll, we'll give you the afternoon off. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Adventure at Podcast. We appreciate our audience and clients for their continued support. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends and family. For more information on our services and upcoming episodes, 
please visit us at VentureIt.com, as well as our other social media channels. Talk to you soon.